Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. So we've been on this journey that we've called Transmission, and we've, we've sort of a little boldly said we're picking up our own story where Paul left off, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. Um, and it's this bold claim that we could even think that we might be able to do that. And yet I love the sense that we, we were never allowed in, a, in, in preaching it or thinking about it to do a series that said, isn't it interesting what they did back then, but we would want to try and bring it into, so what if this would made a difference in our lives right here and that we were um, outworking this along the way. And so for the last six weeks, but we're only five Sundays because we had a guest speaker, but for the last six weeks, we've been on this journey and we've gone through the three missionary journeys of Paul. And we've also been telling stories from within the congregation and all of those are on our website, svc.org.nz slash transmission. You get the, the interviews that we've done and also all of the sermons, eight sermons in all. And so today I get to wrap it up, um, both the same message morning and night, um, wrap the whole thing up where we started off in this whole um, transmission idea. Um, one of the most helpful things that I've ever found or ever known about in terms of understanding the Bible, and, and I think if you can understand the Bible better, you understand God better, is the whole idea of the Scriptures being um, a five-act drama. This is, this is N.T. Wright sort of about 10 years ago made this pretty um, important and significant in terms of some of my reading. A five-act drama where he talks about um, starting with creation and moving on to the fall and through to Israel and through to the time of Jesus and then into the time of the church. And that's going to be an important thing for us to keep um, on the, uh, you know, sort of on, on, in the back of our mind as we go through today. Um, Wright contends that the fifth act started um, kind of after Jesus at the beginning of, of Acts and it's still being played out by you and me this week, this day, this week, this month, this year, that it's still significant. If you will, we are writing Acts chapter 29, which is the title of our message today, writing pages of not the Scriptures, but writing pages of the story that the Scriptures introduce us to along the way. So I found this really helpful in reading the Bible over the last 10 years, because if you know, that, know which act you're in of this play that God is putting together, it helps you understand the bigger picture that's being painted by God in telling His story. And so if we were acting in a Shakespearean drama, and many of us will have been to the Pop-Up Globe, and if you haven't, get there because it's just this fantastic thing. But if we're in the middle of the Merchant of Venice, and I'm not sure how many acts in the Merchant of Venice, and um, we were in Act 5 of the Merchant of Venice, and we started quoting from Act 1, it would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? It would be inappropriate along the way. 
But we would have to, if we were an actor in Act 5, know well what had happened in Act 1, in Act 2, in Act 3, in Act 4, so that we could play the part that we were called to play when we arrived here with our little cameo, our little opportunity to do it. And so if you um, um, extrapolate that out with what Wright's saying, we've had Act 1, 2, 3, and 4 creation, the 4 um, uh, Israel, Jesus, and we arrive in Act 5, and it's the church, and so we get the opportunity to be able to outwork this. So a few examples of this, and I think we probably instinctively know that this has some credence. So uh, take, for example, the prophetic of, of even this morning, of the people who shared this morning a sense of what God's doing. If you go back into the Scriptures, particularly into the Old Testament, and you encounter an Old Testament prophet, then they will be very different than the prophecy that we, you know, reasonably gently and reasonably tentatively um, apply ourselves to today. They were pretty well all men. They were they were kind of they had to do weird things. They had to dress in weird ways, and they were predicting something that was coming into the future. But through the time, we ha we are able to work with prophecy in a slightly different way, and so we see that um, uh, law and grace would be another thing. You sort of you know it gets some pretty clear and some some pretty sort of hard-hitting scriptures in the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes along and he says things like, yeah, it's probably right to stone this person, but hey, you know, maybe if any of us is without sin, we could do it. But maybe if we are all sinners, then we would view that thing slightly differently. Um, he would have a slightly different approach. And he's, he's leading us towards what God is really like or, or taking us towards the things that God really is. He, he would say tooth for a tooth, and that's, that's a really good thing to do. But, but actually, just when you get angry is like you've, is, is, is like you've tran, um, transgressed one of those sins. And it's like, oh, crikey, it's, it's a bigger deal than I thought it was. It's a more challenging process than I thought it was. We've seen in the book of Acts the, the journey from Jew to Gentile, uh, the journey of the gospel, if you like, from Jew to Gentile. We can see something of that, um, uh, I don't know, progression taking place. And I even think back over my own Christian life, you know, it's like, I just, I just wish you could have heard me preach when I was 30 because I was so much better then than I I am now. I knew so much more. I could tell you so much more of what to do and how to do it because I knew an awful lot. And here I am 27 years later. Oh yes, 27 years later. And I feel like, man, I know a lot more about the love of God. I know a lot more about, about God's invitation towards me. And some of those other things don't seem as important as they used to be. And so there is this sense of progression that we can invite and actually be part of that's invited towards us as we think about this thing of Acts 29. And so right writes the fifth act in which the church is called to live and work. Okay, so we are the church, right? So the fifth act of this divine great drama that God is doing in which the church, in which we are called to live and work, is characterized by two things. First, it has firm and fixed foundations, including a definite closing scene. Second, it has the command under the Spirit to improvise a way through the unscripted period. So we are in an unscripted period of, of God's story at the moment. 
And so we're writing the script in your work and in your family and in your, you know, kind of um, interactions with um, the homeless person or the person who serves you in a shop or something like that. We're in this unscripted period between the opening scenes, the book of Acts and the early church, where we've been with Paul and his missionary journeys. And if we've gone back further to Acts chapter 1, the arrival of the Holy Spirit and all of that. And the closing one, new heaven and new earth. Jesus somehow winding this whole thing up. It's an amazing thing. And so that's you and me unscripted today, tomorrow, this week as we go and do what we're doing. It's not that that was then and this is now. It's that that was now and this is now. Does that make sense? That was now. That was the period that we were in that we've been looking at over those three things. And this is now. This is now because we are Paul and Barnabas and Lydia. Um, We are those people who are now given the opportunity to write Acts chapter 29. Scholars also, if if that's a, um, a helpful thing, another helpful way of looking at it is they've likened this to a, a musician who improvises while remaining faithful to what's previously been pay, played. And I'm, I'm not a musician at all, but, but my understanding would be perhaps jazz would be a good example of that, where there are some foundational things, but where each uh, instrument or each performer is invited to bring out something of the of the distinctives that they have and so Wright again says all Christians all churches are free to improvise so we actually have quite a lot of freedom of you know do we do we face this way or that way sing this song or that song all of the things that we do their own variations designed to make them take the music forward no Christian no church is free to play out of tune so we're, we're part of this whole thing and we get the opportunity to do it and it's, it's, it's a thrilling possibility. A great challenge, of course, but a, a wonderful idea that we are in the same drama or the same piece of music, take your sort of example as you like, as Paul was, as the Christians who were scattered in the diaspora that we see something of in the book of Acts and they ended up um, you know, having to, to start little small groups in their hometowns and churches were formed out of that. As the Christians who went to the, 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 the Colosseum in Rome and were, and were martyred for their faith, sort of moving on as those who would gather and say just what are the important things and they wrote the creeds Um, as you move forward sort of if you think about the first thousand years of the church which was basically orthodox the way we would say it now and then there's a a split in 1054 and we get the catholic church the western church and the eastern church are sort of formed 1517 1518 martin luther the protestant reformation all of those processes that are taking place through those bring us to a point where we we are here with this idea of being the current ones who outwork a fourth missionary journey, but it's not a fourth missionary journey because everybody's been operating on this missionary journey that's taken place over the last 2,000 years. We literally are picking up the story from the place that, well, probably not where Paul left off actually, but where our the, pre- the, ne- the previous generation or the, the previous incarnation or, or, of, of Christianity or whatever it is. We get to, we get to um, decide where we do that and to a degree how we do that and all of that. But nevertheless, no, um, even in that, there is an urgency for us 
to, to, to take up the reins and, and to, to go and do the things that God wants us to do. So as we come to the end of our transmission series, and again, I would love to encourage you, if you've missed some or all of those, particularly the interviews, to go back and to hear the stories of people in our church who are, you know, in big ways and small, trying to outwork these things in their, in their workplaces and, and, and in their lives in various ways. Um, but as we come to the end of this series, I want to sort of, give you some thoughts of what I think might be important for us as we go forward from here, as we look for tomorrow to be the authors of Acts chapter 29. And so my, my first thought on this is, is to look out for the expansive invitation of God. And I, I love this sort of thought of God's idea being much bigger than we ever would have thought of um, when we first started on this journey or the opportunity that he sees. In Acts chapter 8, there's a fascinating story about a, a man, um, uh, an Ethiopian eunuch. Um, and the story goes that Philip the evangelist is, is led by the Holy Spirit to go to a desert road, so a deserted sort of place, and to take, uh, and, 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 and he does that obediently. And on the way, he comes across this, this eunuch from Ethiopia who is reading the, the gospel, or not the, the book of Isaiah, on his chariot. So this is a godly man, but he's a, a foreign man, a godly man because he's just been to Jerusalem to worship. He's a seeker of God somewhere, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. It's an interesting kind of um, strange, strange story. But he's also a man who's considered outside of God's reach, if you like, because he's not a Jew, um, clearly not a Jew, so, so clearly not going to fit in in some of the Israel chapter, you know, chapter three um, or, of, the, of this great divine drama. And also because he's a eunuch. So in Deuteronomy 23, 1, it says, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So, so he's, he's excluded. He's outside any, any known paradigm which says somebody like this can be warmly welcomed into the community of God. But interestingly, God has already given a hint that he too is going to be included sometime somewhere because in Isaiah 56 it says this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever so somewhere in the story is written into things are going to change for this group of people along the way. And so we can pick up the story from there, from Acts chapter 8. So Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. Uh, it's from Isaiah 53, and obviously talking about Jesus. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked, and it obviously wasn't, it wasn't obvious that it was about Jesus, because he asks, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself? So is Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him, 
the good news about Jesus. It's an incredible story, an amazing story that goes on. Philip baptizes him basically by the side of the road and then somehow gets spirited away, taken away, and he's not there anymore. And the Ethiopian, you know, maybe church history would tell us, goes and the church in Ethiopia gets planted out of there. So a couple of thoughts on this, on this whole idea of God's expansive invitation. Um, You know, I think we can take from something of the story that God is more interested in everyone who you and I will meet tomorrow than we probably have ever thought of before. That God is in some sort of a process in drawing them, of revealing uh, himself to them. And, um, and it's important for us to be able to go out there with a sense that, that God is sending us to be among people for whom he has prepared. There's a reason we are where we are or we're going to be where we're going to be tomorrow or the conversations that we have along the way. And I think the other real key, because it's like, well, you know, this is Philip the evangelist and of course he would do that, but I'm not an evangelist at all or whatever. I, I love this idea that Philip began with the very passage. He began where the eunuch was at. He began where the person that he had the opportunity to talk to was at. And I wonder sometimes where we go out. So it's easy to do at the end of a series like this. We need to go out and be the fourth missionary journey and all of that. We need to go out and share the gospel and win souls and stuff like that. I wonder whether sometimes we go with a sense of we have to tell people where they should be at as opposed to hear from people where they are at and then bring Jesus, I guess, into that process and recognize the fact that he is there already and that indeed he has led us to that place. I think Philip does it beautifully along the way. So God's expansive invitation, I I think we should look for it. I think we should, you know, not be frightened of it or not give up or not say it never happens to me. I I just wonder whether it's there for us, even tomorrow, even, even this week, that we might be able to see that along the way. I also love the idea in the, uh, in the book of Acts and beyond of the, of the second chance that God gives us. This is a, such an important thing. If you've been around in church for the last 20 years, you will have heard me talk about a guy called John Mark <coughs> several times over the years because he's just such an inspirational figure to me. So, so Mark appears in the first and second missionary journeys um, and, and it's called at various times Mark or John Mark. We don't know exactly, um, but he's thought, of, thought to have been the young man who in Mark chapter 14 fled naked when Jesus was being arrested and everyone was being rounded up. And he sort of got away, only got away, but they sort of ripped his, his cloak off or his loincloth or whatever it was and fled naked. He went on, it would seem, we would think, to um, write the gospel of Mark. Um, he became Peter's trans interpreter, um, you know, kind of because he's a Greek speaker and all of that. And then Egyptian Christians consider him to be their first pope. And so the story is that at, um, you know, kind of at the end of uh, sort of his writing of Acts 29 was that he went to Egypt and began to share the gospel and he was martyred for his faith in 67 or 68 AD. And so this incredible story of, I don't know, of abandoning Jesus, of not measuring up, of not being good enough, and yet ending up along the way, being a martyr for his faith and the starting of, of what we would typically know, know as Coptic Christianity. So, so there's a Coptic church in Beechhaven where I live. I drive past it to work and home from work every day. We know, we know the ministers there and it's just this incredible sense of, man, how big is the kingdom? How big is God to be going back with those? That's this guy, Mark. Well, back in the first missionary journey, you may have noticed when we talked about it a few weeks ago, Mark left 
Paul and Barnabas when they were on this first trip um, in Pamphylia. And we don't know why he did that, but he left and it didn't seem to be a good thing because at the start of the second missionary journey, um, I think Janelle was talking about that a few weeks ago, um, Paul and Barnabas has this, have this big fight because um, Barnabas wants Mark to go with them and Paul doesn't. And you can just think of Paul sort of saying he abandoned Jesus when Jesus needed him most and he abandoned us when we needed him most. And there is no way that Mark is coming with us. So they split which is an interesting thing in itself, isn't it? This terrible thing that seems to be happening actually produces two missionary journeys. And so Paul and Silas go off, and we've, we've done, you know, Paul and Silas in the jail and all of that sort of thing in our series. And Barnabas and Mark go off together. So there's two missionary journeys, and God goes with both of them. I love that idea, that God goes with both of those missionary journeys along the way. So this argument creates two separate things that God is doing. But as Paul's life nears an end later in the book of Acts in Rome, there's one of the most moving passages for me in the whole of the Bible, and it's from 2 Timothy 4. And this is Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, Get here as fast as you can. Demas chasing fads, you've got to love the living, um, oh, the message, sorry, chasing fads, went off to Thessalonica and left me here. Luke is the only one here with me. So Luke is the author of, of the book of Acts and, and the gospel of Luke. So Luke is the only one here with me. Bring Mark with you. He'll be my right-hand man. And so this guy who is so distant in terms of Paul's opinion or Paul's um, rating of his ability to be part of you know, anything that God wants to do because of his, I guess, his dodgy past becomes significant. And so for some of us, as we go and write Acts 29 this week, or, or, or maybe even for some of us, even as we're here today, I wonder if we need to know and we need to hear again and we need to be encouraged again with the sense of, of God's invitation, God's ongoing invitation for us to come to Him um, and, and realize that God is always towards us, full of mercy and full of grace and full of forgiveness. He's always inviting us to another chance, even though we may have blown it in the most grievous ways or, or, or in the smallest ways or, or just feel a little distant or feel like we can't look him in the face or feel like we can't embrace those loving arms of God or the, or the, you know, the wreath and, the, and its all-encompassing security, even though we may feel those things. If God asks us, us to forgive 70 times 7, because that's what Jesus said when they came to him. How many times do we forgive 70 times 7? If God asks us to forgive 70 times 7, how much more will God, who is perfect, invite us back to the table, back to the, back to the process, back to the, you know, the, the place of you know, kind of being right by his side? Peter goes on and and what First Peter five thirteen he describes Mark as as my son, and I mean, what an amazing um, I don't know connection that must have been of Peter the denier and Mark the fleer and and the, and the and the the one who let them down, being able to talk about and say, you know, at those dark days it was like God wasn't there, but we now know that He was, and we can know that and hear that and feel that for us as we go that as we go through. 
And then finally, as we come to the end of our series, I've, I've got a final thought that I want to share that came quite strongly to me over the last couple of days. If you, if you read through Acts, because we got up to, I think, Acts chapter 20, so there's 28 chapters. If you keep reading through Acts, it ends with Paul in jail in Rome. And ultimately, he's going to be beheaded for his faith in 67 AD, maybe. And so same time as, as Mark's getting martyred in Alexandria, Paul's getting martyred in Rome. He's beheaded because he's a Roman citizen, so he doesn't, he, he doesn't have to undergo um, crucifixion. And so um, there's actually in, in Rome, you can go to this church. Um, this is the church that's supposedly, and you know, reasonably good um, historical evidence to be to built on Paul's grave. So that after his beheading um, in Rome. But the last words of the book of Acts come from, oh, sorry. And so my, my thought on this whole thing is, is to, to lead you towards in this, last, in this last point, I guess, of our series, is the importance of our open door, of the importance of us opening a door to whatever God is wanting us to do. Because the last words of Acts, literally the last words of Acts, this is how it finishes. It's no great crescendo. It says, Paul lived for two years in his rented house. He welcomed everyone who came to visit. He urgently presented all matters of the kingdom of God. He explained everything about Jesus Christ. His door was always open. And then the book of Acts ends. It's just all over. It ends. And then we move into letters and, and, and all sorts of other things in the New Testament. But there's the story of the church. It just ends just there. You know, and, and then it begins again when we open our doors tomorrow or today, or our hearts this morning, or, you know, kind of where we go the second mile, or where we or where we become like Jesus for somebody, where we move towards someone instead of away from someone, where we pick up our story, indeed, where Paul left off. That is when it continues. That's when Acts 29 gets written in small ways and big among the world that we do. Open doors. What would an open door look like to you? Would it look like forgiveness? Um for maybe somebody today who, who you haven't been able to forgive. What does an open door look like? Does it look like sharing, you know, kind of when you're, when you're holding on too tightly? Does it look like generosity, you know, being able to kind of get past yourself and move into a more generous stage? Does it, does it look like opening your house to, to, to women on Wednesday night for a cup of tea? You know, is that an, an open door type thing that we can do as we write something of the story? Does it look like fighting injustice? You know, does it look like running for, for parliament? You know, does it, does it look like sort of taking action in something that God's stirring you to? Does it look like reconciliation? What does an open door look like to us? Because that's the way that the whole story um, continues that it's not a historical look back into some dead people whose bones we may know where they are and have built a church over it. And isn't it good looking into the museum of Acts chapter 21 to 28? But if the story is alive, that's the invitation of us, is the open door towards the thing that God has called us to do.
Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.